You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. Okay, you've been sitting at your desk for hours labouring over some problem that you've encountered. Tearing your hair out, trying to figure out what the solution might be. You go and make yourself a cup of tea. There you are in the middle of dunking the tea bag in and out of the water, and you have an aha moment. You suddenly have the solution to your problem. Or you're taking a break and you're browsing the internet or doing something something similar that is a waste of time most of the time, and suddenly, out of the blue, someone that you haven't thought of for years comes into your head and you say to yourself, oh, I wonder how he or she is doing these days. And within an hour or two, they've called you, or they've emailed you, or they've texted you, again out of the blue. These things occur to us. I used the phrase, aha moments, a moment ago. Where do these things come from? Do they come from within? Do they come from the greater realms of the universe? Or what is actually going on? Well, last week, in last week's episode, we talked about three types of thinking. And a a, a number of listeners were astute enough to email me and say, you never covered the third type of thinking. And the reason I didn't cover it was it deserves a whole episode of its own. And that's what we're talking about today. We're all only too well aware of the normal way in which our minds operate. They operate in the same old rut from one day to the next. We keep tripping ourselves up. We keep shining a light on our perceived inadequacies. We keep trying to paper over how we feel about ourselves by encouraging other people to approve of us so we feel better about ourselves. It's what Anthony DeMello calls the drug of approval. And by the way, that's only when we're aware that our thoughts are tripping us up. What we're not aware of is that our minds are operating like that almost all of the time. Unless, of course, we take charge of our own state of mind. So that's the first kind of thought. Characterised by the neural lab at UCLA as the 70,000 repetitive thoughts that go through our head during every waking day every waking day largely playing host to the same 70,000 thoughts. Therefore, every day the automatic pilot in our subconscious mind ensuring that we make it through the day and that one day is largely undifferentiable from the next Groundhog Day. We also covered the second form of thinking that I mentioned last week, and that is the body of expertise or knowledge that you have garnered unto yourself through experience or through qualifications or through qualifications and their deployment that gave you all the experience you have as an architect or as an accountant or a microbiologist or whatever your chosen field of endeavour. Now there's an interesting word just as an aside because endeavour is synonymous with trying and We now know from a neuroscientific perspective that 
real experts at the art of living don't have to endeavor they don't have to try they don't have to put any much effort in at all to achieve what they want to achieve when they are using their minds in a non-normal way which is the third way of thinking now obviously i'm being a little simplistic in saying that we can sort all the various different thoughts in our head into effectively three buckets. The repetitive bucket, the expertise bucket, and the bucket of living our lives to the full. The X bucket, if I can put it like that for a minute. Of course I have to be a little bit simplistic, but really the key thing we need to understand in this short episode is that there is a part of our mind that operates in a completely different way from the way in which we were educated, the way in which we were trained, the way in which we were socialized as human beings, the way in which we learned about ourselves as the individual human being that you think you are, and the way in which you think the world works. There's a part of your mind that operates in a completely different way, an inspirational way, a motivational way, an insightful way, a creative way, a way that our normal, everyday way of living squeezes out of us. And that's why it only happens from time to time that somebody pops into our head out of the blue and we bump into them. That's why it only happens from time to time that we have what we call aha moments. If we had them all the time, we probably wouldn't call them aha moments. I suspect that it is no coincidence that the vast majority of the world's spiritual traditions and religious traditions, all the way back to the ancient native religions from a variety of different parts of the world, all place great emphasis on dreams. The Bible is full of them. Most sacred scriptures are full of insights that people learn through dreams. This inspirational, motivational, insightful, creative part of your mind is right at the top of its peak performance when you are in deep sleep. Hence the traditional emphasis on dreams. Now of course the problem with dreams is that you're asleep when you're having them and therefore they are of limited value unless of course you train your mind to remember your dreams and interestingly enough the more you train your mind to be present and focused during the course of the day the more focused your mind becomes in informing you of anything specifically important that you might have learned from a dream but that's a, that that's for another conversation altogether and people might say to me oh we're getting into the world of dream analytics now and to be quite honest the research in relation to the analysis of dreams is so scattered all over the place by virtue of the fact that dreams are uniquely personal experiences there is little that can be said scientifically from the perspective of the research into and the understanding of dreams in other words you're the only person who can write the handbook that enables you to understand your own dreams but as I said that's another conversation and we will come back to it the key question is that if I have a, a part of my mind that enables me become be inspired become creative in a way that my thinking mind simply could not imagine. Why as human beings would we let these insights happen randomly? Why are we waiting for 
that cup of tea when we've stopped thinking about the problem. Why are we waiting on the off chance that we'll be struck by inspirational lightning when we're sitting doing nothing? Why, when we have some of our most lucid and important moments and insights in our life, should we wait for the random possibility that we'll have another one of those? Well, somebody asked all these questions a little over a hundred years ago, and you know who I'm talking about when I mention the name Thomas Edison, the inventor of, amongst over 400 other patented inventions, the electric light bulb. If we were talking about attentional spotlights in other episodes, this is the man who invented the electric attentional spotlight. We, we all know who Thomas Edison is, and that speaks volumes about his creativity, his insight, and indeed his ability to solve problems. I understand from stuff I've read about Edison that he experimented with over a thousand different materials for the filament in his electric light bulb before he actually found one that didn't burn out when he put the electricity through it. So in other words, it wasn't all plain sailing. And in fact, that is what Edison discovered as his head hit the pillow each night. As his brain transitioned from the manic waking state of 70,000 repetitive thoughts into the deep slumber of deep sleep where his subconscious mind was so close to the surface. As his waking mind fell asleep, he realized that he was having his aha moments. He was having these insights. He was having new ideas. He was becoming more creative. And he was simply discovering, <laughs> light bulb moments you might call them, he was simply discovering the solutions to problems that he had found impenetrable in the laboratory during the course of the working day. And Edison wondered to himself, if I am this creative, this innovative, this insightful, this inspired, last thing at night, is there anything I can do to enable me be in that state of mind during the course of the day when I'm actually supposed to be working? He was doing his best work as he was falling asleep at night. Now, for starters, being a very practical man, he kept a notepad and a pen by the side of the bed. So if something important, or, or should I say when something important occurred to him, as he was falling asleep at night, he'd wake himself and write it down so he wouldn't forget it. But as I said, after a while, it dawned on him that doing his best work at night wasn't the most effective use of his work day. So he devised a set of exercises, mental exercises, to enable him get into that twilight zone, if I can call it that, during the course of the working day. Edison power napped half a dozen times a day during the working day. There is a story about Edison who was renowned for his productivity and ingenuity. Henry Ford called to his laboratory one day and asked the butler if he could see the great man, only for the butler to tell him that the great man was asleep. It was the middle of the working day. What Edison was doing was power napping, or at least that's what Edison called it. Because if you read what Edison wrote in relation to what power napping was and how you practiced it, you would realize that what Edison was actually doing was meditating. Edison was doing 
almost the identical thing that a Buddhist meditator two and a half thousand years would have done to still his noisy mind. What happens when we begin to fall asleep at night? Our noisy mind stills. And you know as well as many of my clients do when I meet them for the first time, that very often as our head hits the pillow at night it even becomes noisier. That's why people don't get a good night's sleep. But our noisy mind stills when we are falling asleep. That is why Edison was getting his insights as his head hit the pillow at night. That is why some people, and you may be one of them, have insights when you're in the shower in the morning because the noisy mind hasn't fully woken up. You're still in the land of insight, the land of creativity. You're still in touch with the wonder of your subconscious mind, the all-knowing subconscious mind. I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. Edison's story is significant because it gives us an insight into how we can turn on our creativity, how we don't need to wait for lightning to strike us. I, I have a very good friend of mine who is a visiting professor at the University of Madrid's business school. He lives in Valencia in Spain. And a couple of years ago, he asked me, could I translate a quote from Pablo Picasso into English for him? And I, I can't remember the details word for word, but basically Picasso had said that one never knows when inspiration is going to strike. But what we need to do is ensure that we have cultivated our mind so that it is ready for it. It's, it's, it's a twist on what Edison was doing, almost the same difference. We need to and can cultivate our mind to be inspired. We can cultivate our mind so that our waking days are filled with thoughts that come from the third bucket. A totally different way of thinking. And as many of my insightful clients have said to me, we're not really talking about thinking in the conventional sense at all. We are talking about our subconscious mind providing us with answers, providing us with insights, providing us with knowing. I had an interesting conversation a couple of years ago with a client who, for the preceding couple of years, had been telling me that she didn't know what she wanted out of life. She didn't know what kind of job she wanted. She didn't know whether she wanted to change her career or not. She didn't know whether she wanted a relationship or not. She didn't know where she wanted to live. She didn't know what kind of life experiences she would like to have in the greater scheme of things. In other words, inside work and outside work. Very hard to hit your target when you don't even realize that you need to put goalposts down in the ground in the first place. Like most people, she was all over the place in relation to understanding what she could have out of life. Having been asked the question, in an ideal world, what would you really, really like to have out of life? And you see, that goes back to the point I made earlier on in relation to our formative thinking, our socialization, our education, the way in which we have been brought up, led us to believe that the world works in a particular way, in Ireland in the 1960s, the particular way in question was get yourself a good education, a job for life, retire and die. Hence the extent to which normal people live their lives on a set of rails. 
But actually, actually the world works in a completely different way. We have these insights, these knowings, that enable us move towards the life that is best for us. And this inner knowing that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago is in all of us. Therefore, if I can digress for a moment, when I ask people what they want out of life, what would happiness and success be for them? Generally speaking, they will attempt to answer the question, and attempt is the right word, it's, it's, it's hard work. They will attempt to answer the question in the conventional way. They'll use normal thinking and normal definitions of success to describe something that they think they want, which is completely different from what their subconscious mind knows is best for them. This is the point I was making to my friend, who didn't know what she wanted out of life. And I said to her, look, you know, you know inside what is best for you. Your gut instinct knows. You, if you want to call it this, your feminine intuition is telling you. And she said to me, I wish my feminine intuition could shout louder. I cannot hear her. And I said to her, she's shouting at you at the top of your lungs. All you have to do is listen. And to listen, all you have to do is stop listening to the noise in your own head, the 70,000 thoughts in your own head. You can see where I'm going with this. We can tap into our own inspiration. We can tap into our own understandings of what we really, really want out of now, out of the career we have, out of the life we have, from a holistic perspective what is best for us. We can tap into this inner knowing that we have by stop wasting our energy on the thoughts that actually hold us back. In other words, for starters, let me get this point across straight away. Meditating doesn't just clear your mind to enable you to understand what's going on in the here and now. Meditating doesn't just enable you develop your focus to the point that everything in life becomes oh so much easier. Meditating doesn't just provide you with, for the first time in your adult life, control over your attentional spotlight. Meditating doesn't just reverse all the bad things that stress does to the body. You know, like how meditation reduces the heart rate, reduces the blood pressure, reverses the build-up of fatty cholesterol boosts the immune system, boosts the digestive system. Meditation doesn't just do all of those wonderful things. Meditation unlocks your inner insight, your inner knowing, your, what really successful business people call, your gut instinct. This has been and continues to be researched by neuroscience. Because what neuroscience has discovered over the last five years is that when we meditate regularly, we restructure the brain. Now, we've talked about this before, but not in this context. You will know from previous episodes that even meditating once engages the brain's left prefrontal cortex, the site of the attentional spotlight that I mentioned a moment ago. So in other words, you turn your own attentional spotlight on and you take it under your own control. As I said a minute ago, and this is significant, probably for the first time in your adult life. We know that. We also know that meditation agitates what Hercule Poirot would have called the little grey cells. Actually, that's only half true, because when Poirot was talking about the grey cells, he was talking about the cerebral hemispheres, his thinking mind. 
whereas what meditation does is touches the part of our brain that nothing else can enable us to touch. The insula, the amygdala and the hippocampus, the three key components of the subcortical brain, the neural correlates of your subconscious mind, in effect the site of your all-knowing gut instinct. Regular meditation restructures the left prefrontal cortex. We've touched on that before. Regular meditation restructures the insula, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. In other words, these parts of the brain grow in size. The neural pathways, the axons in the neurons of these neural components in the brain expand by up to 1,000% in diameter. These parts of the brain, as they restructure, start communicating amongst themselves in an entirely novel way. And what neuroscience has now established is that this restructuring, this novel intercommunication, totally changes our understanding, not just of what is going on in the moment, but exactly what we need to do in the moment to enable us get to where is best for us. That might sound strange, but let's flip this conversation all the way back to evolutionary times for a minute. Because this is what those parts of the brain always did. If I was confronted by a man-eating beast 10,000 years ago, they would tell me exactly what I need to do to get what was best for me. I wouldn't have to think about it. It would be instinctive. There would be no effort involved. I would just, as Nike would say, I'd just do it. These parts of the brain behave in exactly the same way nowadays in the 21st century if we restructure them, and by that I mean if we start using them regularly on an everyday basis through meditation. Again, let's go back to 10,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago, this part of the brain only sprang into action a couple of times in our lives in the same way that we're only struck by lightning or have aha moments or light bulb moments in the modern age a couple of times maybe a year but certainly not on a regular everyday basis if you exercised this part of your brain this part of your brain will work for you on a daily basis and what neuroscience has discovered is that not only will it as i said a moment ago know what's going on and enable you to decide what you need to do notice what i've just said enable you decide yeah because that's what neuroscience has discovered people who meditate regularly greatly enhance their decision-making ability. People who meditate regularly greatly enhance their problem-solving ability. People who meditate regularly can make the most important decisions of their lives in real time. In other words, you don't have to go and analyze a decision to death because people who meditate regularly have this part of their brain this knowing part of their brain, telling them moment to moment what is actually going on and what choices they need to make now. Because remember, we've said this before, your life now is the result of every single choice you've made in every now up to now, as a result of which every single thing you've done or failed to do up to now. Imagine if you could always do the right things in the right way at the right moment because you're tuned in. Because ultimately decision making and problem solving is simply 
making the right choice in the moment. If you could make the right choice moment to moment, how much different would your life be? How much more effortless would your life be? No wonder modern neuroscience has also established that people who are in the zone and doing what they need to do to get to where they want to go, do it effortlessly. So let's pause for a moment and compare everything I've just said to the normal way of trudging through a day, of struggling through a day, to make it through the day, wading through the treacle created by the fog of our 70,000 thoughts, not knowing what's going on because we can't see through the fog created by those thoughts. Not having a clue as to what decisions we should make because we don't have a clue what's going on. Compare that to being in the zone, being in what the University of Chicago calls in flow, knowing what is happening, and knowing effortlessly in the moment the choice you need to make now. What do I say to this person who has just assailed me in that fashion? What do I do to enable this person understand what I'm trying to get them to understand so we can move forward together? What do I need to avoid doing now to make a situation that is in danger of going over the edge not go over the edge? What do I need to do now to ensure that I move effortlessly forward today and that the things that I do today are like little pieces of a thousand-piece jigsaw that when I put them together I will realise I have created the life that I really want to live. In short, the third way of thinking is not thinking at all. The third way of thinking comes from being. When you be in the moment, I know that's incorrect grammar, but you know what I mean. When you are fully present in the moment, fully aware of what is going on, fully aware of the choices that you have, fully aware of the choice that will move you effortlessly in the direction that you want to go, You'll simply do what you need to do in the right way, at the right time. You'll always be the right person in the right place, at the right time, moving effortlessly forward, one moment at a time, towards what I call your perfect moments. But you know what? When you're fully in flow, in the zone, making the right choices effortlessly, moment to moment, every moment becomes a perfect moment. What is the lesson from today's episode? We need, in the words of Picasso, to cultivate our mind. We need to follow the example of Thomas Edison and ensure that we bring our meditative practice into the middle of our day. Doing it in the morning is not enough. We'll have another conversation at some point along the way about mini meditation, but doing it in the morning sets you up for the day. But you need to thread threads of mindfulness through the fabric of your day to the point where you become mindful most of the time, most of the day, most days. That's when you hit this flow. That's when you hit this effortlessness. 
That is when you simply do what you need to do, free of the need for approval that I talked about earlier on, free from the thoughts that hold you back, free from even the temptation to analyse what choices you need to make or decisions you need to make or how you need to go about solving a problem. You'll just know. You know, I could quote here, and it predates all of the neuroscientific research I've mentioned, but I could quote here surveys from the 1970s, 80s and 90s amongst highly successful business people, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, CEOs of FTSE 100 companies, who said without exception that all their best business decisions were made on the basis of gut instinct, and all their worst business decisions were made on the basis of over-analysis. I think, speaking as an accountant, I should put my hand up here and, uh, and say that I, I think mostly accountants were implicated in, in the analysis bit. Never mind. We all learn. We all grow. The key message, as always, is you need to look after your state of mind. You need to develop the innate ability you have to be present in the moment, free from the noise, the 70,000 thoughts in your own head. You need to go back to how free and clear and present you were in your mind as a three-year-old. You need to become childlike, which obviously is not the same as childish. You need to be in the moment to enable you understand what's going on, and enable you effortlessly do just what you need to do without a second thought, or without a first thought for that matter, to get you to where you want to go. And that, moment to moment, is how, moment to moment, we put our best foot forward. Moment to moment, every day. Effortlessly. <laughs> You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit wwwwilly horton.ie.